Well, good morning, Alice Drive. It is good to be here. I'm going to tell you, just to be completely transparent, I am really, really excited about the conversation we're going to get to have over the next couple of weeks, couple of weeks because I'm going to get to talk about something that every single one of you absolutely wants. That always feels good to talk about something somebody wants, right? Like, I know you want it because this is the truth. Most of the tension in a lot of our lives has been us trying to get it and then us trying not to lose it, right? Our country was founded in pursuit of it, right? Every single political person on all the spectrum literally have their ideology because they feel like they have the path to it. You already know what I'm talking about. The thing we all want is what? Freedom. Like, we all want freedom. I know I do, and that's not a bad thing, right? We all pursue it. It's a drive. It's a motivation, we all fall. I know I do. I went to uh, move into my house. We just moved into our house um, about a month ago. And up until then, we were, we were having to move some things around and wait on some people to move. So for three months, I lived at my in-law's house. All right? Now, I have a great relationship with my, in-law, my in-laws. I love them, but I promise you this. You try to run a family of four out of the back bedroom of your in-law's house, there comes a point where you just want one thing, and that is freedom, <laughs> right? So I'll never forget, we, uh, there's a day we got the house, going down the driveway, walking up to the front door. I felt like the six-year-old version of myself going down the hall on Christmas morning because, like, finally the day. I opened the door, looked in, and it's just literally everything I wanted, And then I turned around and saw three moving trailers in my yard and realized all my friends were working. So if this house was going to get done, yeah. So I I took off a week, and I moved our family into that house. Finally, we're moved in. I sit down on the couch. Um, I want to turn on the TV, and I hear, honey, the sink's not flushing. Well, the sink don't flush, but we talk about that, right? Like, okay, oh, honey. This outlet in the wall is not working right. Oh, my gosh. So now I have the freedom to be a homeowner, right? You ever felt that one before, right? And my honey to-do list is yay long, but it's, it's getting closer. But this is what I've learned, and I think a lot of us have already learned this. Maybe I was a little later to the game than some of you, but that is this. Every step toward freedom often comes with its own bondage, doesn't it? Like every time we move a little close to center, we're like, yeah, oh, I didn't know that was there. It doesn't matter what stage we are in life. Freedom is always the thing that we're pursuing. Like, for example, if you're a teenager or when you think back to when you were a teenager, there is only one thing that defines freedom for a teenager, right? And that is this, everything, right? I want to do everything, right? Some of the worst mistakes that some of us made in this room where we were doing something we didn't even want to do, but it was a part of everything that we thought we had to do to have the freedom that we so wanted. Am I lying? I'm not lying, am I? And then the great thing is, though, this finally you get to grow up and you become an adult, and now you have the freedom to pay a mortgage. How about that, right? You got a freedom to clean up after your two kids, right? You got all this freedom, and what happens is this. Freedom for an adult starts to look different than it did when you were younger, right? Because when I'm growing up, freedom don't look like I want to do everything. Freedom looks exclusively like this. I don't want to do anything. That's freedom for me, right? 
There are people listening right now, you have a savings account that you put money into every month because you were trying to purchase a room on a boat to leave the country for a week so no one can bother you and you can do nothing, right? Like, I just want to, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to pay any bills. I don't want to deal with people. I don't want to do anything. And, and what happens is this. We see this barometer of freedom, and it seems to always be moving. But here's the cool thing. Sometimes we catch it, right? Sometimes we catch the thing. We're like, finally, that's it. I caught it. I caught the thing. I can have freedom. Let me ask you this, though. If that worked, if, if, if getting freedom worked, why is it do you still have stress in your life? If being free was everything it was cut out to be, why is there still prevalent anxiety? Because is that not its own form of bondage? And what we discover when we probe that question just a little bit is this. You can be the most physically free person on the entire planet, but if your soul is tied up and in bondage, you are the most enslaved person you will ever meet. You can have everything you want, but if in the deepest part of who you are, if that's enslaved, you have nothing. And here's the truth. The truth is this. God absolutely hates you being in bondage. 100%. He hates it. Some of the most passionate language in all of Scripture is written about this topic, about freedom. I'll say it again. There's not one more thing that he wants for you than to be free. Now, here's the interesting thing. That sounds pretty self-centered, doesn't it? Man, God just wants me to be free, but here's the great thing. It's biblical. It's biblical. In the next couple weeks, we're going to see that God wants you free. So if you have that desire, here's the good thing. It's God birthed in you. And we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be looking at the pages of Galatians. There's not a book anywhere in Scripture that teaches freedom more, more clearly than this. In, in Galatians Chapter 5, Paul's going to say some things about freedom, and here's what I promise you. If we really internalize what he has to say, and we really let it penetrate who we are in our soul, freedom will never feel just out of reach again. So, with that being said, let's, let's look at the first verse of Galatians chapter 5. It is for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. It's for what? Freedom. That he set us what? Come on, church. Free. These two things are inseparable. It's for freedom that he set us free, which means this. His will for your life is to be free. Say that. God's will for your life in Jesus is to be free. Now, I don't know about you. I have struggled in my life so many times with what I should do with my life, right? Hopefully you have. Like, if you're married, hopefully you at least had one conversation with Jesus like, hey, should I marry this person, right? Should I do that, right? You struggle with big things. Hey, should I take this job? Should I quit this job? Like, you struggle with these big things, but you also struggle with small things too. God, what do you want me to do? And you ever have that friend and you're like, God, I feel like someone needs to tell him he's really annoying. Do you want me to be the person? That's not fun, right? Some of you had the conversation um, with God. God, should I correct my spouse? Well, you're still living, so I'm assuming in some way that went well. But we do. We really struggle with what God, what we should do with our life. And I love 
what, what uh, pastor and theologian John Piper says. It's a great observation about this verse. We get so bogged down in what God wants us to do with the things not spelled out in Scripture, like a job, that we often overlook the explicit things stated in Scripture that everything else hinges upon, and that thing, that thing is freedom. Freedom is the thing he wants for us to have. And so it's important to know what that is. What is freedom? Well, we've already discussed it's, it's not having everything or being able to do nothing. If I, you could slice this apple a million ways, but the, if, I could, if I could put it in one sentence for you, I think it would be this. Freedom is God not holding you against you. Freedom is the full assurance that when this life is done, when you meet your maker, God will not hold you against you. If you today know Jesus, he will hold Christ against you. And he will look at Jesus' righteousness and not your failures. And you know what that does? That gives you job security, right? How many of you had job security? You're like, I can't get fired. I'm an entrepreneur. Like, it's a good feeling. So here, we don't call it job security. We call it eternal security. And there's no greater freedom than that. Because look at the blessings that come with being free in Christ. First, you get to be free from performance. God's love's not based on how well you perform. You're free from spiritual death. You're free from the fear of death. You're free from condemnation. You're free from the power of sin, from the authority of Satan. And as one pastor said, you're free to inherit every blessing purchased for you on the cross. Listen, freedom is not just about feeling good. That freedom is good. You will never find a more liberating freedom than those things. And here's the beautiful thing. Today, if you're here today and you would say that you know Jesus and you have faith in him as your God, that's available for you right now in your life. You have access to it. If you're here today and you maybe you haven't gone there, Jesus holds it out like this. It says, I offer you the keys to the freedom you look for. And in the middle of that offer, we see the tension that Paul's in, in Galatia, right? He says, this is the freedom you have but you are choosing to be bonded by the yoke of slavery. What does that mean? Well, he expounds. Look at verse 2. I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be no advantage of you. So what they're saying is this. Listen, Jesus is good, but also if you tack on this little procedure, you can be great. And, G and Paul's saying if you add anything to it at all, you don't make it better, you make it worse. Even though that little procedure was a part of their culture, if you add it to it, it makes it worse. He, he says, I testify again. In other words, I'm going to say this again in case you didn't hear me. Every man who accepts circumcision, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You were severed for Christ, you, would, who, you who would have been justified. In other words, those of you who you, you knew Jesus, you would have been justified by him. Instead, you held up your own failures. You would have been justified by him, by the law, you have fallen away from grace. So evidently what's happened in the church in Galatia is Paul went there and preached Jesus. He preached faith alone, and people said, yes, I want Jesus. I love him so much. Sign me up to serve in the nursery. I don't care. I want to serve Jesus. I want to love him. And then Paul left, right? And, and, and words got back to him that they're saying something is different. And Paul's saying, no, if you're adding anything to Jesus, you see they never really accepted that offer. 
Matter of fact, they backed away from the offer of grace the second they brought themselves to the table. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. That is right standing with God. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Now here's what I know. I know that's a rich passage. I know there's a lot of things going on there rooted in culture, in theology, but it's not just meaningful for them. It's meaningful for us. So let me kind of frame it this way. Let's say you've had the worst year of your life. Some of you, you maybe you have, right? You have the worst year of your life. You Maybe you don't have a job. You don't even have any people in your life except for one friend. And you're so down and out, you have forgotten what the smell of steak even smells like. That's a sad life, right? But your friend comes up to you and says this, hey, I want to take you to the nicest restaurant in town. You've had a bad go. I want to take you to the best restaurant in town. So maybe, I don't know, maybe you choose the Hamptons. I don't know. Maybe you decide to get out of town and go to Ruth's Chris. But it's nice, right? Your friend takes you to the restaurant. You sit down. It's so clean. You're not used to seeing waiters and waitresses so dressed up that they're cleaning your tables off with a razor blade, okay? You're like, where even am I at right now? And your friend says, order anything you want on the menu. And whatever you want, add one thing to it because this is going to be the best meal of your life. What you doing, boys? Medium rare? Hopefully. Hopefully you don't sin and get beef jerky. Well done, right? I'm just saying. You get, you get the best cut of steak. You get, you get baked potato. You're like, I don't care. I'll get sweet potato too because it's on him. You order everything. Man, you got the mushrooms. All this stuff's coming out. Your table's just littered with food, and you literally enjoy the best meal available to you in the state of South Carolina. Let me tell you, how you feeling in that minute? How's your friend feeling? God, you know he feels good. And your friend looks at you, and he's like, man, I thank you for letting me do this. He said, yeah, you guys ready to go? And you look at me, oh, no, no, we can't go yet. And your friend looks at you confused. No, no, no. And you reach behind you, and you pull out a yellow Dollar General bag. And you plop it down on the table, and you take out of this Dollar General bag a full, unopened can of Spam. And right there in the middle of the restaurant, you peel the cap back on the Spam. So it's mixing with the fragrances of all this five-star food, and you start eating random pieces of animal. It's stuck in your teeth in the middle of this restaurant. People are looking at you like, this is the weirdest thing ever. And your friend looks at you like, what's going on? You're like, I just want to make sure I'm full. Aside from that being the weirdest thing ever, in that moment, That is the greatest insult you can afford to your friend on this planet because it's demonstrating that we are completely missing the point of what he's trying to do for you, isn't it? What is your friend trying to do for you in that restaurant? He is trying to completely satisfy you. And understanding what it means to have freedom in Christ comes down to this. It means understanding why Jesus came to begin with. Jesus had one reason to come. He came to die on the cross to completely satisfy our need for righteousness. Completely and fully. And anything we add to it ruins it all. It's Christ alone. And that's the heart that Paul left these people in Galatia with, right? That's the, Paul, the heart he let. He went there. He preached the gospel. They said, we love Jesus. He said, okay, let's plant a church. And then he joyfully left. 
And now word has gotten back to him that there are people in that church body saying, in order to be a good Christian, your men must also get circumcised. Now, if you're not churched, that may seem a little strange. But in their culture that they were coming out of, circumcision was one of the oldest commandments they had ever had. It's actually and literally where they found their identity. So what were they doing? Bringing their identity into this new identity with Christ. And you can't do that. Paul says if you add anything, you ruin it all because this. Receiving freedom requires faith alone. That's it. That's not easy believerism. Because if you have faith alone, you know being a Christian is a daily grind, isn't it? But it's all it is. So let me just ask you really, really gently, where do you run for freedom? Because I've heard it's Christ alone since I was a little kid going to, we used to call it RAs and GAs growing up, okay? Like since I was a little kid. It's always Jesus alone. But when I look at my life, it doesn't always play out that way. Because there's other places that we run to freedom. For some of us, it may be like these people. It may be actions that we're doing in our life. Hey, God, I want to be a good little Christian, right? So anytime you add the word good to Christian, that often leads to heresy, right? Because our goodness comes from Christ. But what we do is I want to be a good Christian. So what that means is this. I need to make sure I pray, read the Bible, go to church, listen to K-Love, eat Chick-fil-A, you know, add on all these things, you know. I do all these things. Now, here's the deal. Fine. Chick-fil-A's good. It's pre-blessed, which is nice. All right, but I'm just saying, you do all these things, but does it make you good? See, the problem with that is this. When we hold up the good things in our life and say, God, I'm a good little Christian, and you hold up this hand, you know what he does? He points to your other hand. He says, no, you got to hold that one up too, son, because that one looks kind of nasty. If you want to own the good, you got to own the bad. And what Jesus says is this, I own it all, and you own what I have. But it might not be our actions. For some of us, our freedom might not be in ourselves because we sure know about that, right? Our freedom might be in something outside of us. How many times have we seen freedom get hitched to a political agenda? Hey, I'm going to be a Christian. How can you be a Christian and vote that way? That's hitching something to the gospel. How can you be a Christian and have that job that's hitching something to the gospel? How can you be a a Christian and not support this hashtag cause on Twitter or Facebook? Let me tell you what that is. That's hitching something to the gospel. And you know what? That's tough. But here's why this is important to see this for what it is. Because every single thing we ever set eyes on on this side of eternity has a shelf life. And if our soul... And our freedom is attached to something with a shelf life. When that thing perishes, so does our freedom. And what Paul is saying is this. You can hitch your soul to something that isn't temporary, but it is eternal. And it's not something, it's a someone. It's Jesus. That's what you have. You don't have to hit an emotional reset every four years if you live in America. If Jesus is all you're hitched to. Because being free is only found in faith alone. Now, that is not to say that's the difference between living it. Because receiving it's in faith. But living in your freedom has a cost. 
There's a difference between receiving something and living it because you can have freedom and never, never experience it, right? I had a friend. His name was uh, Nigel, and he was my best friend. He was a chicken farmer. So I would often go out to his house on the weekends, and I'd help him with his chickens. He had thousands of them in the big barns. You know what I'm talking about. And one day I showed up at his house. He goes, uh, are you ready to work? I said, yeah. He goes, all right, today is free-range chicken day. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know about that free-range. I pay extra money for that, right? He goes, all right, let's show you how it's done. Okay. So we go out to the chicken farm. He goes up to the big gate, pops the lock, swings the door open. I'm like, all right, what are we going to do? He's like, no, I see it. What? And we sat there for like five minutes just talking, and I said, Nigel, not one of your chickens has left the barn since we've been here. He's like, yeah, they never do that. I was like, you don't even have a fence around your barn to capture me. He goes, I never had one away. I'm like, but the door's open. He goes, yes, the door's open, but they're so accustomed to the shade that they don't know if they run to the light, they have their freedom. It's there the whole time. But they're so used to being in the dark where it's cool. They don't realize if one just busted loose and went across the field, it's going to be fine. Now, good luck surviving in the woods, little chicken. But you got some freedom, right? You got some freedom. And that's really what he's saying. He's saying, listen, freedom has a cost. You got to step out of the shade. It means it's going to be a little sunny. might be a little hot. This is how Paul says it. He says here, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? You could almost feel his voice break in pain here like a parent. Like you look at your kid and you say, you, ever, you ever look at your kid and say, I raised you better than that. That's Paul. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. A.K.A. you add a little, it ruins it all. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But I, brothers, if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who are unsettling you would emasculate themselves. That's harsh language. But this is a harsh thing we're dealing with here. And that is this. There is a cost of living in freedom. There's both the internal and an external cost, right? We see that internal cost when he uses the idea of running well. I used to run a lot, and I'll never forget the first time I ran more than like eight miles. You know what I realized at that point? It had nothing to do with my legs. It was in my head. Once you realize I could do that, you just keep on going. You don't even think about it, right? And what he's saying is, what, what keep, what's the lie that you have allowed to enter your mind that would keep you from believing the truth? What's the lie? Who's, who told you? that you didn't deserve freedom in Christ? Who told you that? Who told you that you weren't good enough, that you had to go and have a procedure to be good? Who told you this? I'll tell you today, there may be one listening. This is all you really need to hear today because you would say that you know Jesus, but for the last 15 years, you've been beating yourself up for a sin that he forgave you for 15 years ago. And it's some kind of weird penance that we have to pay to beat up on ourselves. I'm telling you, in Christ, no one tells you that you are not good enough because in him he is enough. And if you have him, you have what is enough. But the tension isn't just internal. Paul's saying here, 
Okay, I get it. Why am I being persecuted? He says, I am. I'm living in freedom. I'm being persecuted actively. I'm having to pay a cost. And you know what he's saying? He says, I'm not being persecuted because I'm adding to the gospel. He goes, I'm being persecuted because I'm saying Jesus alone. Let me tell you what churches are not going to go through as hard enough time over the next 15, 20 years. It's the churches that add things to Jesus. Hey, you can have Jesus, but we'll also add these things to appease the culture and add these things to appease people in power. And the next thing you know, sitting in church on Sunday doesn't feel any different than sitting in Shoney's. But what happens is when we laser focus in and we say, no, we have one objective and his name is Jesus, there will be a falling. There will be persecution, but we will be free. We'll be free. And I'm going to tell you, we're not in a culture that doesn't see that now. I personally have seen it. I have a lot of pastor friends all over the country. Every one of them, everyone I know, has lost congregants over the last year because we were unwilling to hitch the message of Christ with another agenda. It's already creeping in, but you know what? The cost is there. The only question we have to take is what will our stance toward it be? What will it be? We could cower down, or we could take the example of Paul. What was Paul's? Paul said, let me have them. What is Paul's words? He goes, I wish those who were unselling you with these lies would emasculate themselves. If you have the NIV, it says, finish the job. Now, I know some of us are like, man, he is just ruthless right here. Like, this is really harsh language. Well, let me set it up for you this way. Let's say you got a baby girl, and she's five, and it's picture day at school. I can't think of many more days that are more special for a five-year-old girl than picture day at school, right? So you, you, you get her all done up, you send her to school, and while you're there, you're thinking throughout the day, you know she's just sitting there cheesing, you smiling at work, right? Then you go pick her up from school, and she gets in the car, and her eyes are just bloodshot red. And, and her nose is running, and you look at her, and you say, baby girl, what, what happened? She said, well, I was in line to get my picture, and two boys came up to me, and they told me I better not get my picture because I'm so ugly I'm going to break the camera. And then all the other boys agreed. They said everyone else believes that, and they said I'm the ugliest girl at school. And your little girl looks you in the face and tells you that. Let me ask you this, Dad. What's your response going to be? Where are the boys? Give me the boys and give me their fathers because that stuff's inherited, right? Like, where are the boys? You're going to feel just like Paul. No one had a right to tell my baby girl she wasn't beautiful. Hey, you know what? Paul feels the same way. No one has a right to tell Jesus' bride that she's not beautiful, that she doesn't have worth, that she was bought with the most expensive price, the cross, that has ever been seen throughout history. She's the most beautiful thing there. And Paul is saying, they need to finish the job because those men shouldn't reproduce. That theology doesn't need to reproduce because that is not birthing what God loves. And what he loves for you is to be free. But when we do that, look at the damage that gets perpetuated. 
when we allow this message to continue. Just a couple weeks ago, I was at, I was at Pacala campus, and, and while I was there, we got done with the service, and this lady came up to me, and she goes, Pastor Dale. I was like, yes, and she goes, I'm a first time. I was like, I know, it's so good to see you. She goes, I need you to know this right now. I'm like, okay. She goes, I'm going to start coming to your church. I said, you're going to start coming to Alice Drive? She goes, yes, ma'am, I am here. I was like, that's a big decision to make just in like one Sunday. What made you make that decision? She said, I'll tell you exactly why. She said, ever since I've, I've been here, I've visited so many churches. And this is the first church that I've been to where when I walked through the doors, I felt loved and cared for and not judged because my husband is a different skin color than me. See, legalism just wants to replicate a clone of its own set of rules. And I just looked at her and I said, ma'am, you know something? Jesus loves you and we love you too. Now let me meet your husband. But look at the damage, look at the decades of damage that were done in her life because of this emasculation type theology. But here's the good thing, there's one way to objectively measure it. Like we, we can measure if we're stuck in it or if we're not in it. This is why I love the sermon. Because this isn't one of those sermons where I'm like, okay, write this down, fast four days and pray over the next five weeks to find out if it meant anything to you, right? Those sermons do have meaning, but why I like this sermon is this one, we can look right now and every one of us can see objectively if we are living in the freedom of Christ. Look at verse 13. It says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not your free, use your freedom as an opportunity for flesh. In other words, freedom doesn't mean you do everything. Freedom doesn't mean you do nothing. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed with one another. You may tell you how we measure our freedom. There's only one litmus test given in Scripture. The measure of whether or not you are free in Christ or a slave to the world is your demonstration of love toward the world. Which is really helpful, right? So which means when it comes to the big things in our life and the big questions, that's a really good question to ask. If you're in a place right now where you're like, I don't know what to do with my life, God. Well, I'll tell you what. We know God's will for you is to be free. We know that if you are free, it's always demonstrated in loving others. So when you're trying to make that decision, it's a good way to say, God, which decision helps me love others better? It's a great litmus test. But it's also just good to look at the last week of our life and say, how do we love people? Where do we fail at it? Because our failures are where we're finding the bondage. But love is found in something completely else, something else different. I know that because um, I had a dog one time. And my dog's name was Walker. I named him after Chuck Norris because that's what you do, right? His name was Walker, Texas Ranger. And uh, we would hang out. And uh, I lived in Newberry at the time. And during the day when I leave, he would have to spend time in the backyard because I like my house, all right? So he would spend time in the backyard. And unfortunately for Walker, he was a little too smart for his own good because he would start digging and he learned how to get out the fence. So, oh, which is fine. I would get home. I'd ride around the community and find Walker, you know, at the neighbor's house. But th then Walker figured out if he didn't want to get in trouble anymore, all he's got to do is teach all the neighbor's dogs how to dig out the fence too. So he taught all the neighbor's dogs how to dig out the fence. So it was like this posse of wild domesticated dogs running around my community led by Walker. So finally I had to do something 
I really didn't want to do um, because Walker couldn't get out in the pen anymore. And I had to go and purchase a runner. Are you familiar with what a runner is? A runner is like a wire that goes in your backyard, and then you have like a leash, right? And you attach your leash to the runner, and wherever the wire is around, he can run. So during the days, I would have to leave Walker on the wire. And I'm going to tell you, when I did that, he went bonkers. Like, I clipped this on him, he turns into a different animal. He would be running around the yard with his neck, like, pulled back as far as he could. There's a dirt track around my yard that would extend the full length of the wire plus the length of his neck. And I would feel so bad. The Amazon guys were terrified of Walker because they would walk up to the house and he would just roar at him as hard as he could. But I think he was just yelling, help, get me off here. But it sounded like, I want to kill you. Like that's, I don't know, it's pretty similar, right? He's just yelling. When little kids would walk past my yard, they would like go out into the road because they were so scared that he was going to break off that runner and come out there and bite them. And then my house became known as the guy with the crazy dog in the backyard, right? And I forget, coming home sometimes, I would just drive up in my backyard, and he'd just be sitting there, and he'd just be exhausted. Because I could tell the entire day, he's just been screaming at the world, right? And I would say, come on, Walker. And I'd go in there, and open the pen. I'd, I'd take his leash, you know, I'd take it off. I'd hold it in my hand. I'd say, let's go. And he'd look at me like, we can go past that gate? Yep. We'd go past the gate, and, man, he'd start running. And I'd be like, come on, boy. And all of a sudden, little kids would run up to Walker. He, he was the totally different dog. He would roll on his belly and be like, pet me, right? We'd walk past other dogs. He'd do whatever dogs do to get, like, their own high five. Like, he was the best dog you'd ever seen. And I remember walking one night. I'm like, this is like a totally different animal. But you know the really unique thing about my experience with Walker his lease never changed. It's what he was connected to. Because, see, your freedom is connected to what you're connected to. And we could choose to be connected to things other than Christ and live in anxiety, be it our own works, be it in a political system, be it in legalism, or we could say Christ alone. And you would tell you what's going to get to happen? Before you follow Christ you get to walk out the gate. You don't have to scream at the world anymore. And you get to see people enjoy what it means to be loved in Jesus' name. That's the freedom that you're being invited to on this path of freedom. And the beautiful thing is, the gate's open right now. Let's pray. God, I thank you today for the opportunity to come in here and sit in here as free people. God, I ask that... Um, that we all would pursue you above everything. God, that in you, we would find our hope, an eternal hope that's not bound to anything we see. God, thank you for these blessings that we find in your son Jesus alone, that we pursue at a cost, and we measure by love. Amen.